0: Have you ever had that situation where you've had something right in front of you that you've missed? I remember a little while ago when uh, we were looking through some old wedding cards that we'd we'd had 25 years before. We opened one of our wedding cards from 25 years beforehand, and... uh, And we opened it, and right in front of us was a check for $200. We couldn't believe that something so valuable had been right in front of us from a person that I think was dead by now, actually, uh, had been there the whole time right in front of us. And as we look through the book of Jonah, and as we study the book of Jonah, I think there's things that we can miss that uh, we would miss if we just think it's four chapters. Because honestly, I believe in the book of Jonah, even though it's just four chapters, there's a chapter five, and there's a chapter six. uh, Just to give you a recap, at the beginning of Jonah, Jonah's called by God to do something, but he runs from God. Jonah 1 verse 3, it says that uh, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah took off, had all these things he was doing for God, but just left. It just, Jonah just left and went, went the opposite direction. Jonah chapter 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Finally, Jonah gets, in this story, Jonah gets swallowed by a, a fish, and inside the fish, he's desperate. He's desperate, and he prays to the Lord while he's inside the fish. Jonah 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh to proclaim the, to it the message I give you. Jonah gets this second chance to give the message that God's called him to do in the first place. Most of us, if you're like if you're like me, I, I know you are, you're grateful that God's given you multiple second chances over and over again to do what he's called us to do, to be the people he's asking us to be. And then in Jonah chapter 4, like things just progress, things get worse and worse for Jonah. He doesn't like the forgiveness that God's giving to the, the city of Nineveh. And he... He completely uh, gets, uh, di- gets angry with what God is doing, gets frustrated. And it says in, verse, in in chapter 4, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Jonah gets so mad at what God was doing that he says he wishes he was dead. You've got this four-chapter book with jo- uh, an entire book named after the, the prophet Jonah, and it doesn't once make Jonah the hero. Never in the four of these chapters does Jonah ever declare himself as the hero. He always talks uh, about himself honestly and about who he is and, and how bad he is. There's nothing about this book that declares Jonah as being anything great. Do you ever look at yourself in the Scripture and, and, and put yourself in the place of the hero in the story? I think we have a tendency to do that. You know, I'm like Abraham. I'm like the one that's, that's going out to a country that God's calling me to, but I don't know where it is. I'm like David. I'm coming out with stones against a giant. I'm like Esther because God's brought me here for such a time as this. We tend to put ourselves in this place of the hero in the story. Uh, and we have this book of Jonah, not because it just arrived, but because Jonah chose to write it down later. And not to make himself the hero, Jonah had the self-awareness to write this down, without pumping up his own uh, his own press or making him, making himself look better at all. Not direct directing himself to not directing this book to the greatness of a man, but directing this book to the mercy and the graciousness of God. <clears throat> and I think, Anthem, I think that that's us, that we could be the kind of people who could put ourselves in the center of God's plan for this world, that God's plan for this world is somehow about us. But when really God's plan is about His mercy and about His graciousness and about His love coming out to a broken world. You know, I think the Jews have, have got this right here when it comes to the way they read the book of Jonah because every year on one of their festivals on a day called the Day of Atonement, uh, the the Jews get together in the synagogue and after a day of uh fasting and preparation and thinking about how they could do better next year how they could be different people in the year to come the Jews get together and they read all four chapters of the book of Jonah and they stand there and they say together they they read the four books four four chapters of Jonah and then they declare these three words we are Jonah together recognizing that they have a tendency to run. We can be like that. We have a tendency to run. We have a tendency to hide. We have a tendency to only cry out when we're desperate, to maybe respond to God's second chances, but only in a a fairly half-hearted way, and then complain when God gives and takes away along the way. We're Jonah. We're the the non-hero here. There's lots of um, people in the Old Testament, when you really look at their lives, they're not the heroes, they're the non-heroes of the story. Yet there's somebody else that we should be looking at as the hero of the book of Jonah and the hero of every piece of Scripture in the Old and New Testament. Charles Spurgeon, who was like one of the greatest preachers of the uh, 19th century, in London, uh, talked to a younger preacher uh, one day and he said, can you get to every can you get to london from every tiny village in england and the younger preacher said well yeah there's a there's a small track that will lead you out of the village and then that leads you to a bigger road and a bigger road and finally you can get to you can get to london from any village in england and he said this and so from every text of scripture there's a road to the metropolis of the scriptures that is christ there's a way to get from every scripture in the Bible to learning about who the center of the Bible is about, and that's Christ. We can get to every scripture. We can get, we, sorry, we can get to Christ from every scripture. Tim Keller, who's a, who's a pastor in New York, uh, wrote this about uh, that idea. He said, Jesus is the true and better Abraham. He answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the emptiness to create a new people of God. He said, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes the people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. So did you know that this story of Jonah, this account of Jonah's life, we have it in the Scriptures, not just so that it can teach us something about God, but so that it can be an example of, of who Jesus is to us and what God's long plan long-term plan is for us the old testament of the bible is always pointing forward to its fulfillment through christ because you see 800 years later jesus is having a, a discussion with some religious leaders People are asking him, people are coming to him, and they're saying, Jesus, can you, can you give us a sign? Can you do us a miracle? Can you do some magic tricks and show us who you really are? And Jesus says this in Luke, 29, in, in Luke 11. says this, as the crowds swelled even more, Jesus went on to say, how evil is this generation? For when you demand a mighty display of power simply to, simply to prove who I am, you demonstrate your unbelief. The only sign given you will be a repeat of the miracle of Jonah. God's just saying right there that that we are going to repeat in Jesus the miracle of Jonah. And there's a couple of things that might be described as the miracle of Jonah. It says, for in the same way, Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. So the Son of God will become a sign to this generation. Matthew takes it on a slightly different way. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. About this, He's talking to the religious leaders, and they're asking for this sign. And it says, For just like Jonah was in the belly of the huge sea creature for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Think about it, that you've got these four chapters of jo- Jonah, none of them describing uh, Jonah in a great light. And then what I like to call the fifth chapter of Jonah, that is in a sense the the thought that Jonah at some point later in life is writing this down and writing what took place without shedding himself, without painting himself in a great light. And then you could even say that the sixth chapter of Jonah is what God had planned to do through this book hundreds of years later through the life of Christ. In using Jonah's life as a as a type of Christ, to paint a picture of who Christ was so that more about, uh, uh, about Christ's divinity could be revealed later. Like Jonah, we know you've had it tough. You've had to travel all across the, the known world on a, on a camel in less than comfortable transportation. But did you know that your life, your book, is one huge real-life illustration for the coming of Jesus? You thought you were just a prophet prophesying the doom on a a wicked city, but your whole life is announcing the death and resurrection of the Savior of the world. Isn't that incredible that God had a long-term plan for these early incidents in Jonah's life? Jesus said, he said, somebody better than Jonah is here. In a sense, Jesus is looking back at the the ancient history of Israel and this prophetic book that he knew so well and all the Jewish people that that are around him knew so well. And he's saying something better than Jonah is here because Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Listen to how one author described some of these comparisons between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah cared for his nation, but Jesus cared for all nations. Jonah ran from Nineveh. Jesus ran from heaven to earth. To be here with us. Jonah went to Nineveh unwillingly. Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah had a heart of anger. Jesus had a heart of love. Jonah refused to dwell with the Ninevites, but Jesus lived among us. Jonah waited for his enemies to be punished, but Jesus was punished for his enemies. Jonah spent three days in a fish. Jesus spent three days in the grave. Jonah spent 40 days hoping for destruction, but Jesus spent 40 days proving his resurrection. Jonah sat up on a high place on a little throne and hoped that everyone would be destroyed. And today, Jesus is high and exalted in his highest place. He sits on a great throne and he invites us to salvation, not damnation, to forgiveness, not condemnation. He's waiting patiently for a relationship with us. So, this, this whole thing that's been in front of us this whole time that sometimes we don't even notice is the fact that Jesus, Jesus Christ, is on every page of Scripture. We don't necessarily see Him at the beginning, or we don't immediately, we, we aren't immediately able to spot Him. But the more we look, the more we get an understanding of the whole story of God. We realize that God's using every prophetic book, every historical story, to lead us to one place, and that is to Christ and to His uh, salvation for us. Over the, over the next four weeks at Anthem, we want to on our on our Sunday morning streams and in our uh, uh, Saturday night events at the hotel, we want to focus on sort of demystifying the word of God, demystifying the Bible. You know, the Bible is something that we come to sometimes and we, we, we want to, we want to switch it off quick or we want to close it quick because we, we don't understand it. We don't know where to go with it, but we want to spend some time demystifying the Bible and, um, uh, we, we had a guest with us for our Easter Sunday service a few months back. My good friend, Abdu Murray, was was with us for that service. And there's some content that we're going to be using of Abdu's over the next few weeks. And I know you're going to want to be a part of this and possibly invite your friends to it as well. So um, watch this quick uh, uh, illustration of what we're going to be doing on Sundays over the next few weeks at Anthem. I think one of the toughest questions we can ask ourselves often is, how do I read this Bible? Some people find their eyes get droopy when they start reading it. Other people might get upset when they read certain parts that are uncomfortable, because there are parts that are uncomfortable. But how do we study this book? Um, It's large. It's got multiple books in it. It becomes almost daunting to say, how do I read a book that thick and get anything out of it, especially it was written so long ago in language that I might not understand. The reason the Bible itself actually exists is to give you a picture of who God is and how much he cares for you. I hope you'll join us over these next few weeks for Demystify. I truly believe that this is going to be a way that we can get a chance to sort of look under the hood of the Bible and to see this great treasure that God has for us and hopefully uh, learn some things that we can apply to our lives that will help us engage with God's Word and see the the mystery uh, becoming reality in our lives. You know, God's Word is one huge story that points to the person of Jesus, points to our gracious and merciful Savior. And you know, that story is designed to point not, to our, not for our glory, not to put us in the middle of it and make us be the people that uh, are at the center of this story. But God wants to put himself at the center of this story. And yet he allows us, he allows us in the midst of this great story of God to be used for His great glory. You know, I believe that God is looking to continue to build His own story, and not my solutions. Yet, I know as well that when I put my trust and my faith and my confidence in God, that He will work things together for my good in the midst of it. Romans eight twenty eight is a. Uh, Favorite, favorite verse of mine, and today is 8.30, so two days ago would have been 8.28. But think about, think about 8.28 day, which would have been Friday this last week. Uh, Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Hear that? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That means that in the midst of tough situations, difficult trials and struggles that we go go through, God is working in the midst of it for my good. He's working for your good. And it may be so that later in our lives, God might be glorified in a situation that now we don't understand. It might be that God is building His story in our lives in a way that right now there's no way I could get my head around. But God is building His glory and His story in our lives. And so I want us to remember today, despite big trials that we go through, hardship, job losses, family struggles, loss of loved ones around us, it could be that God is still working. I believe it is that God is still working for our good as His followers. And He's building His great story with Jesus at the center of it all.